Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, we, we leave our f bombs in and. Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound. They're gonna keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of, out of, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, yeah. and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my 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 literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. We have a full house this evening and we are also celebrating Tommy's birthday. Woohoo! Woohoo! So Tommy, thank you for joining us. Oh, on yeah. your birthday. Oh, I could say something sappy, but I won't. Oh, you can go to his Facebook page to find that. Um, <laughs> the shade, in love, always in love. love, always in love. We also have Olivia tonight. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Y'all, y'all, this is something special. Tonight we have with us Jen Kinney. If you are not familiar with Jen Kinney, she encompasses and does so many things. We're just going to give you a little taste. Jen is the co-host of Speaking of Racism podcast with Tina Strawn. She also has her own podcast called Story Power. And Jen has just a long list of things she's been heavily involved with. Anti-trafficking, she did that for 15 years. She also works with and collaborates with several different anti-racism podcasts in the background and at the forefront. She's a mom. Currently, she's an expat. There are so many things, and we are just so excited to have Jen with us tonight. How are you doing, Jen? I am doing well. I'm so glad to be with ah! you. And Tommy, on your birthday. What? Is this your first time here? It is. Oh, my gosh. This is it so is. good. It is. And I'm honored that you you visited on your Aww. birthday with well, me in this space. So thank you. Okay. Sappy time. And then I'll shut up. Here it comes. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Um if y'all don't know, Jen is connected uh, to, so we, we're all a part of a board that Tina Strong and uh, had, I don't, I don't know the whole story behind how the board formed, but we're all part of Speaking of Racism board. And so they were all like, you don't have to come. You don't have to come for, for this. And I was like, I know I don't have to come, but it's like, I, I want to come because this isn't like work or labor or, and y'all I'm 31 and after 25 hit like getting drunk and like being out to like three o'clock drinking and partying, 
I don't want to be hungover for two days. Right. At this point, it might be three. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> We're resting. <laughs> on sabbatical. We're resting. We're resting. So this is like a beaut- I can turn up in my own little way right here tonight. Love it. And we're going to do that because I got my wine anyway, so. I know I'm thinking I should go grab some wine, but I don't think as clearly, so I'll, oh, I mean, I'll you wait till still- after. We'll do the after party. Oh, yes, <laughs> after party. If y'all listen to the episode with me and Chris, like y'all kept hearing us both like pick up and put down our wine glasses and I could not <laughs> edit it out because it happened so many times, but I was like. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. It wasn't as sappy as I thought it was going to be, but all right. <laughs> We're done. I-, I felt the sap. Okay. Yeah. It might. Yeah. We'll see. Your smile said it. <laughs> that no one can see but us. That nobody can. <laughs> I love that we have video. And we- one day we'll get bold enough to have these frank ass conversations live streamed. Live, right? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Olivia's like, mm. yeah. Give Olivia some time to adapt first. Uh, I, I'm still new to this world. <laughs> You're so it. natural at it. Like, oh my god, the episode right. with you and Gigi. Oh my god, Becca, so good, so good, y'all, y'all. And this episode is about to be like so good and fire. Which is all right. I'm done. We just wanted to let you gush all you wanted because it's your birthday. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. (laughs) So, Olivia, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about something that Jen has spent a lot of time delving into. We're talking about critical race theory. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. The the big hot topic in several, well, everywhere right now. So, um, Jen has been delving into this topic. I have been trying to learn about this topic because um, so many of the people who have opinions about it really don't know what it is. <laughs> and so I was determined not to be one of those people um, expressing opinions without knowing. So I've, I've taken some time to, to delve in and, and understand um, mm-hmm. so that I could better understand what all the hullabaloo is about. There's like 21 states at this point that have either um, passed or introduced legislation to bar critical race theory in schools. And, uh, you know, if you were to just go ask the average person who's screaming about it, what is critical race theory, they wouldn't know. It's actually a legal theory um, that was developed by scholars to critique the way American systems run. And what has happened um, is that it has become a buzzword and a bludgeoning tool um, used to just paint this this broad brushstroke against anything related to um, the history of you know racism, oppression, um, treatment of the indigenous, very much tied to you know uh, slavery, any of these things. Um, and so I just wanted to spend some time unpacking that. And so, Jen, since you've delved into it, why don't you tell us a little bit of what you've learned about what it means and what's going on with it and and some of your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's interesting because I'll give you a little bit of backstory about myself and who I am. So I'm 44 years old. I'm a woman deemed white. And about 10 years ago, after the... um, 
murder of Trayvon Martin, I started getting really involved in learning about the history of race in this country, the history of race creation, racism. What was this thing that people were talking about that they were calling structural racism? What role did I play in it? What role could I play in helping to dismantle it? Because I felt a really strong call into this space of discussion. And I spent years and years just really listening learning, reading, researching, talking to people. Um, and so I take my like my work very seriously as a person deemed white who is seeking to disrupt and dismantle white supremacist delusion and systems in the country. And so one of the things that I've spent a lot of time doing is really like trying to understand people who disagree with me and and try to figure out like how can i have a conversation a better conversation is there even a way to do this i need to be discerning with my time right and my energy but like i was a person who 30 years ago listened to rush limbaugh every day and and I sort of think of myself as like, if I could go on this journey that takes me from one place to a very drastically different place, is there potentially hope for other people, right? And so I started being accused of being um, like a Marxist a few years ago, you know, the SJW. And then this critical race theorist term kept coming up. And so people would call me, you know, like essentially like you're, you're, you support critical race theory. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell critical race theory is. So, okay. And then it's like, well, not only do you support critical race theory, but uh, it's antithetical to the gospel. And it's like, oh, well, this is really interesting. So I come from this evangelical background. I'm midway through some pretty heavy deconstruction. I still want to understand like what is going on. So I go on a journey about two and a half years ago, and I start trying to figure out what critical race theory even is. And not surprising, because once you start to learn about it, you realize why it's so hard to even figure it out. It is a graduate level legal study, right? That, that looks at literally like the intersections of our history and, and identity and law and how they all sort of converge and come together and impact people differently based on where those, those meeting points are for them. And so I got to this point where, I mean, it was really hard to even find a podcast on it. It was hard to find any writing on it. Um, but I did find somebody who was doing a lot of writing on it at the time. Uh, his name's Bradley Mason, and he goes by also a carpenter. And he was the first person I came across who was trying desperately to take this really heavily heady academic study and kind of pull it down for those of us who aren't in academia to understand. And still, it was a little out of touch for me. Like it was a little difficult to reach. And I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? 
I am not going to be distracted by this anymore. I have had people DMing me. I've been having conversations with them. I spend hours and hours like thoughtfully engaging, researching, writing notes, responding, engaging. And I just got to this point where I'm like, you know what? This is a tool of distraction. And these people who are coming to talk to me about this stuff are not doing so from like that good faith place. Right. And so I set it aside. But then fast forward to the last six months or so. And Olivia, to your point, like I started reengaging critics of critical race theory and I would comment about it on occasion on Instagram or whatever. And I'd just say CRT or critical race theory. And almost every time I posted, people would be like, what's critical race theory? What's CRT? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, look, if you don't know, don't even worry about it because this is a boogeyman that's being brought out and like, it's not, it's not something you need to pay attention to. And here we are today where, like you said, you've got as many as 21 states banning the teaching of what they're calling, they're incorrectly calling critical race theory. And you've got all of these people holding signs, protesting, they're pissed off, they're lamenting that their children are being brainwashed. I've got people in my DMs asking me questions left and right. But before I continue going on, because I could monologue on this, (laughs) if there's something like, feel free to like interrupt me or raise your hand or whatever. so, So it took me a while to figure out why we're where we are today in this new sort of iteration of critical race theory conversation. But I've learned, but I'll stop there for now. So one thing that I want to say that that has just, I've just found astounding is I wanted to just kind of get a feel for, you know, they're passing laws. What are they passing? So I I just went and looked at one, Texas, and I'm just going to read a few sentences and and try not to laugh out loud or maybe cry. It just depends. So they, they never actually use the words critical race theory, but this is what Texas has is, is doing. Tech teachers can't teach anything that presents any form of race or sex stereotyping or blame on the basis of race or sex, including the concept that an individual by virtue of their race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. And I just want you to just sit with what? that for one minute. So um, I, I, I gasped <laughs> when I actually read that. I gasped because then how do you talk about slavery, even if it's unconscious? How do you talk about any? How do you even talk about the civil rights era? Um, and so it's it's. That's just one example. You know, I could go on. The, the governor of Florida, um, I, I actually wrote down what he said. They're not trying to educate. They're trying to indoctrinate. Right. And so the whole notion of, um, you know, Jen mentioned being called a Marxist. Um, fear is being used to stir people up and whip them into a frenzy. And it's all about completely silencing any discussion of any narrative that is going to in any way tell the entire truth about our nation, its founding. Right. And, and I don't, I've just come yep. to the point where I don't even want to hear about black history anymore because it's all our history. 
So would this be a good time for me to tell you kind of where this all started, this sure. latest iteration? Sure. Yes, okay, please. Because I can, I can go. So there is a man by the name of Christopher Rufo, and he went on Tucker Carlson in July 2020. And uh, prior to this, Christopher was like a documentary filmmaker. You can look into his history if you want a little bit, but it's not so important. Um, but he went on Tucker Carlson and he like asked the president at the time, Trump, to ban the teaching of critical race theory in the federal government. So up to this point, what he had what he had started doing was compiling stories from people at home during the pandemic who were, you know, part of corporations and going through, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion training. And they would take screenshots of things and send it to him undercover. And, you know, like a lot of the quotes for, were from like Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo. So what you'll find is when people talk about what they're coining critical race theory, you'll be confused because you're like, why are you talking about the 1619 project? And now you're talking about Robin D'Angelo. And now you're talking about Ibram Kendi. Ibram Kendi has said publicly multiple times he is not a critical race theory scholar. Robin D'Angelo came out recently also to address this, saying that this was meant to confuse and conflate some things. And then the 1619 Project. Now, the 1619 Project is a real sort of point for this discussion because you will hear a lot of people and a lot of parents freaking out because they were going to bring the 1619 Project into schools to teach it as an adjunct to the history classes, right? And for the life of me, like I've gone back and I've reread it, I've listened to the podcasts again, and I've read the critiques from historians because again, like I'm trying to be very thorough so that yeah. when I have so-and-so's uncle DM me and send me a video or something like I can address exactly kind of what they're speaking to. Mm -hmm. So the 1619 project is a historical storytelling project, right? That um, Nicole Hannah-Jones put together with the New York Times. And it's a collection of stories and essays, and it is a storytelling. And if anybody thinks that history is literally just dates and facts, they're wrong. There's a historical narrative that is taught to our children. And the irony that I find is listening to parents bemoan the indoctrination of their children and inaccuracies in 1619 when they are literally, they, they are the product of a whitewashed historical storytelling that was inaccurate and full of actual historical lies, right? So it's like how, like, like I'm looking at these people and it's like on one side, I want to give people a little bit of a, the benefit of the doubt. And on the other, I want to just tell them to go jump off a damn cliff because it's so frustrating, you know, looking at the, the reality that like, you're not looking for honesty and integrity. You're not looking for accuracy in historical storytelling. No. It, you don't care about these things. Like, so, it, you know, like, where are they complaining that, you know, like schools are teaching that George Washington's teeth were made of wood when his teeth were fashioned out of the teeth of enslaved Africans? You know, where were you showing up 
to complain about the narrative that Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings were somehow in a romantic relationship when that's not the case, when he was a trafficker, when she was a trafficking victim, right? Like, and you think about like the stories I learned about the founding fathers, it's like, I kind of remember there was always this wrestling of like, well, how come they enslaved people or how come they supported enslavement? And and you could see the teachers would always say like, well, you know, times were changing and they really weren't in favor of slavery. And they, they really, you know, and it's like, and I learned this as a kid growing up. I'm 44. Thomas Jefferson owned over 600 human beings, right? Like, and, and I just learned I was watching um, High on the Hog the other day. And, oh, and so good. And episode three talking about how George Washington would take his chef to Philadelphia, but he would manipulate things in a way where he wouldn't be there for six months because if he was there for six months by law, he would go from enslaved to free. And I'm just like, and then, you know, Martha Washington being credited with all of these meals that she didn't cook, right? And, And like, I came to the end of that show just thinking like, white people ain't shit. You know, like literally, like the entire time, I'm just like, George Washington, I don't want to swear too much on your podcast here, but I was just like, you know, so so like the the cognitive dissonance of people, right? And they're out there and they have the audacity to protest something that they literally don't even understand, that they're naming incorrectly because nobody is teaching children in K through 12 critical race theory. It is a graduate level legal study, right? And that, like that's I the had part right uh, there. Amber. <laughs> yeah. That part, that's the whole part is that this whole thing that they are calling critical race theory is not critical race theory. And th- th- that's the part that I find exasperating. That and the other thing that you hit upon, um, because I have just become like obsessed with American history of late. And I, I want to touch on a-, a few things you said about. So George Washington, I, I wrote a, he, he had another slave. Her name was Ona Maria Judge. She ran away <laughs> and was never caught. But the whole thing that you're saying was done intentionally. The capital at the time that he became president was Philadelphia. Philadelphia, there were more slaves on Mount Vernon than there were in the entire city of Philadelphia. And so he had this whole plan with all of his slaves. They had to be rotated every six months. But they couldn't know why. So every six, you know, he had a, a, a plan in place to make sure that of all the ones who went with he and Martha to serve them, that none of them stayed there more than six months. He'd send them home, you know, not tell them why, and then bring them back. So yeah, there's a whole other story behind the story of George Washington. And then the thing that people forget about Sally Hemings, she was 13, 14. Jefferson was like 44. Hello, somebody. <laughs> um, so the right. whole notion that she was his paramour. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I and so when right. I hear well, that, and the thing that I find really oh sorry no go ahead no no go ahead no no the only point that I was making and then I'll I'll be quiet is that the the notion that we're concerned about revisionist history when pretty much I'm finding now that pretty much everything I learned was, was revisionist history and the thing that I'm being intentional about doing as much as I can is going and reading these people in their own words. So I I will go read Thomas Jefferson in his own words. I will go read Abraham Lincoln in his own words, because I want to know what did they really say and not somebody 
telling me what they said. And it's, it's, it's a very enlightening thing when you start to go back to original documents and, and, and put all that together. Yeah, absolutely. And like, make no mistake, what we're what we're really dealing with right now is a culture war narrative. And it's mm-hmm. a war between storytelling narratives, nobody in and, and Nicole Hannah Jones says this all the time. She says, I'm not looking for the 1619 project to be like the end all be all and in historical storytelling for the whole of the United States. Yeah. It's meant to be an addition to the existing historical narratives that children are taught, right? But there's a threat in that. So so what I had to do is I really had to dig in and start having conversations with people who actually know what they're talking about because I'm not an attorney. I am, I'm not a student of critical race theory, right? Like I'm the average everyday person who's just trying to figure out what the hell everybody's talking about Mm -hmm. so that I can speak to it and engage it more thoughtfully, right? Like that's my thing. Becca, you were kind of trying to formulate an idea of like, who is Jen Kinney? Jen Kinney is the person who at, you know, like I want to say 38 or whatever, um, 39 decided to start a podcast, you know, <laughs> never having podcasted before and in, in doing what I can do to be a part of the movement for black life and for liberation as the average everyday person. So I'm trying to engage this stuff from this space. And it's really amazing to see uh, and to kind of go down the web of where did this begin and where did this new iteration begin? So I want to read you all something from um, Christopher Rufo. And this defines things. So you have to understand Christopher Rufo pled, you know, like made a plea on Tucker Carlson to the president saying, ban all critical race theory teaching in the federal government. And right after that, Trump did that. And he established the 1776 commission or whatever he, you know, whatever that's called. So this was in direct response to this man. So what he says has impact and it matters, right? And he has a lot of followers. So what he says is we have successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that brand category. The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. We have decodified the term and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. Here's the thing. What is unpopular with Americans? What do we think he means, right? Like this is a, a, a white guy in the United States. He's talking about white people, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he's not even hiding it. He literally put this out on Twitter. So, so what they've done, they have successfully worked people up into a frenzy. Mm-hmm. And after speaking to also a carpenter, Brad, the thing that I really learned is he talked a lot about like the the history in the United States where you had, you know, this time of reconstruction and then you had this huge backlash. You had the civil rights movement and then you had a huge backlash. We had this year of awakening with Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And then like now we've got this backlash and all of this focus on critical race theory. So while people are trying to learn what the hell critical race theory is, 
it's not really the point because they're not talking about critical race theory. They're trying to take every component of anti-racism from, you know, like Kendi all the way to, you know, some aspect sort of of critical race theory with the ideas of intersectionality via Kimberly Crenshaw's work because she is a huge part of, of you know, the term and the, the study critical race theory along with Derek Bell. And yeah, like I think what I think what what those of us who want to engage in justice work need to realize is this is a tool of distraction and for some people we're gonna have to engage it. For white people, you're gonna have to engage this. Yeah. Because I went from people had no clue what the hell I was talking about, you know, six months to a year ago to now I've got family members calling me and saying what's critical race theory. You know, like on Fox mm. News, how many times do they say it per day? Thousands. Right? Like so many times. It is the buzzword at the moment. And they are doing a really good job correlating it with these other things. And so really, like if you're going to engage these conversations, you've got to really know the nuances in the conversation, his, you know, historical truths, the 1619 Project, mm-hmm. all of these things. You know, the biggest critique with the 1619 Project isn't even that it's historically inaccurate. The critique with Nicole Hannah-Jones was that she may have overstated the role that slavery played in the Revolutionary War. But you'll notice they don't say that it didn't play a role in the Revolutionary War. And so it's very interesting because she's even said she has overstated that and will clarify that in the book that she's currently writing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's amazing to me because again, none of these people are concerned really truly about historical inaccuracy or indoctrination because that's all we've done with our kids. What they're concerned about is losing grips on the narrative, not having the upper hand in the conversation. It really is like a loss of power for people for this narrative to enter and things to shift. So completely um, two months ago, what month is July currently? So yes, two months ago, Union County, which is a county adjacent to the county that Tommy and I live in, had a school board meeting. The people who were standing against critical race theory also lumped it in with mask mandate. And so like the two have nothing to do with each other and, and they try to keep them separate, but they use the, just like you said, Jen, they used the critical race theory mm-hmm. as fuel because they were trying to get rid of the mask mandate in elementary schools, I believe, and at the time. And so, you know, it, again, it's just it's an igniter, just like you were talking about. I wanted to ask you with Christopher, is it Rufo? R-U-F-O. Rufo. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm curious when we're looking and talking about it, it feels like it's Christopher Rufo and there's a we. Who is the... Not that we need to focus on that we, because we don't need to spend our time, but I'm just curious who you think that we is with him. I mean, the people that I really see utilizing him, it's, you know, white evangelicals, Mm -hmm. conservatives, conservative evangelicals, fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And there are a number of them. You know, again, it's like you've got Tucker Carlson who I would find is far more concerning even Mm -hmm. um, than him. 
I just want to say something about the narrative and the amplification of it. This is just something else that I had looked up today about when you talked about how it's being mentioned more and more and more. So in February on Fox, it was mentioned 51 times. In March, 139 times. In April, 314 times. In May, 589 times. And in the first three weeks of June, 737 times, which just goes to underscore your point about from that quote that we're just going to make everything critical race theory. We're just going to throw everything under that umbrella. So um, in a matter from February to June, 51 times to 737. And that wasn't even the full month of June. Wow. And not surprising because like I said, I mean, I feel like I could have a full-time job just combating and engaging discussions around CRT, which is something we do not want to get caught up in. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that I'm really trying to do is kind of pull people together to create resources, podcasts, et cetera, and then give them to God. Because like, I'm not going to keep having this conversation and getting into these things. You know, there comes a point where it's like, no, I'm not going to watch this video that you've sent me of so-and-so conservative commentator who is black and then respond to it anymore. Like I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to engage this anymore because at this point, if you're still going to send me these things, that tells me you actually are not in a place that is open to, to real purposeful dialogue and an exchange of ideas. So yeah, so that's kind of my hope with this is like, okay, clearly we have to counter punch. Like that's where I'm at. You know, for so long, I was like, nope, I'm just, I'm not even going to touch it. I'm going to, you know, like do the work that I'm focused on with abolition and these Mm -hmm. other things and supporting anti-racism activists and educators and teachers, you know, and, and screw the CRT discussion. But for this reason, exactly, Olivia, I'm like, no, I feel like I've got to get back into the game on this, get back into these discussions and at least try to disabuse people of the idea that they care about facts, history, or indoctrination. Be honest. That's not what you care about. That's not what you're concerned about. You want the status quo. You want to maintain whiteness. You want to, you know, like all of these things. That's where we're at. I read something today that talked about, like, you know, in the 50s and 60s, the, the focus um, with racism, you know, there was all the keep black people out of white schools. And now they're trying to keep black history out of American schools. And yes, the thing that I have become cognizant of probably just in the last week, because there's sometimes I'm up till two or three o'clock in the morning reading because it, it, it t- you start reading about one thing and then it takes you down these other rabbit trails. But one of the things about the way my brain works is that I see patterns. I'm I'm just an observer of patterns. And if you don't know history, you can't see the pattern. If you don't know what came before this, you look at this and this looks like some new thing out of left field. When you go back and start looking at the overarching history, you recognize like what you said there is there are black gains and then there is white lash or white rage in response all these efforts being made now with the voting suppression we've seen that before so case in point in in my home state of georgia yep our republican secretary of state to his credit refused to manufacture 
11,000 votes that the former president, you know, um, leaned heavily on him to do. Um, He refused to succumb to that. And so our Republican legislature, who wrote the current laws that have to do with absentee ballots and the Secretary of State's role in certifying the vote and all that, the same Republican legislature who put that stuff in place when it looked like it favored them has now just come back and overturned it. So next time it won't be up to him to to make that decision. And several state legislatures, I mean, you probably know about, you know, Arizona and just, uh, they're they're just too many to number. But I guess what I'm realizing is that, again, this is a part of a pattern of history. It's not new. And so if we can't win one way, um, then we will win another. And in, in a state like Georgia, first of all, I was completely astonished that that Georgia went blue. Like, so that wasn't even on my radar. I, I didn't even, I didn't even, I, I have the utmost respect for Stacey Abrams, but I just, I just, I didn't think that was, that was gonna, that was gonna happen. But it was by, can, can I just tell you something? Mm-hmm. I was calling from Detroit and doing robocalls in Georgia. So I was so you hoping for it to go blue. <laughs> It was on your radar. It was not on my radar. And but when you think about it, 11,000 votes, it's not that hard to suppress 11,000 votes. I'm in Metro Atlanta, which has like 9 million people. So we, we say, well, Biden won by however many millions. No, it was really like 45,000 in key states. And if you can make it just difficult enough in areas that target marginalized populations, minority populations, make it just hard enough, then you don't have to win with the plurality. And so I looked at this and I was appalled. But then when I look at it through the lens of history, I'm like, oh, this is not new. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we can make more informed and strategic decisions when we can recognize patterns And look beyond the surface to see what's really going on. And that's where you're so correct that CRT is a canard. I mean, this it's it's a distraction. There is a much more nefarious plot afoot um, than just what some kids are taught in history class. Yeah, absolutely. Because too, the thing that just blows my mind is, you know, already in I think it's in Tennessee, and I'm sorry if I got the state wrong, but there's an area in Tennessee where they have decided not to allow a book about Ruby Bridges because of the language being too pointed toward a race of people. So like, because the book says that, you know, this group of white people were standing outside jeering and holding signs and all of this. And it's like, okay, okay. Like, wow. I have a hard time even entering my body with that because like, it's so enraging and concerning to me. And something I really appreciate about what you said, Olivia, is that like you believe that seeing the patterns can help to better equip and inform us. And I'm going to hold on to that because when I really started to understand more and to see that this is part of this just frustrating pattern of like movement forward and then retrenchment backwards, like it makes me feel a little bit hopeless you know, so, um, so I just want to say that, like, I really appreciate that you see that as a tool for organizing and strategy and overcoming this. 
Well, let me just say this, and Tommy can testify to it. I called him last night <laughs> and went on this complete rage. And what was I all about? I was like, what is the point in all this? I mean, it's like we get one step forward and five steps back. And where does the hope lie? And so I am very hopeful at times. And then I have meltdowns because <laughs> I called Tommy just last night with the meltdown. I'm in a different state of mind mm-hmm. now. Um, and, and one of the things I hold on to, so there's a, a, a quote by a friend of mine who is of an indigenous American background, and it says, generational trauma is real, but generational resilience is also real. That is the torch that outshines Amen. the trauma. And that's what I try to yeah. hold on to. And so I'm in that space of hope today, but you know, I was in a very different space. Well, yeah. And and I want to just speak to that for a second, because that's such a good point. Like within the context of the 1619 Project, have you all like listened to it, read it, are familiar with it? Familiar. Like this is this is the thing, like the 1619 Project and Nicole Hannah-Jones entire like, like moment of realization for her that is so inspiring to me is that as she is telling her story as she's talking about like shame that she experienced because her father flew a flag in their front yard and the anger and dissonance that she felt about the historical, you know, inaccuracies being taught in schools and, you know, and all of these things and never really feeling fully American. You know, you have all these people up in arms and like the 1690 project is the devil and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But if they would listen to it, it's like the whole like there's there's that moment for her where she's like, no, I am an American. And the contributions of black Mm -hmm. Americans are so important and powerful and profound in shaping and structuring like from music and food to science and education and aerospace and like all the things, all the things. Like we have a friend, right? A mutual friend, Kina Reed. She She's like, we made that too, right? Like <laughs> what didn't we make? And we being black people, not me. And I love that. And so, so just the beauty of the 1619 Project and the, like the, the humanity and connection that she finds in that space of telling the truth mm. and and holding tension for all of it. I think, oh my gosh, that's so powerful. And you've got all these assholes out here and, you know, whatever coming against it. And it's so infuriating. But anyway, well, I digress. I mean, I'm going to not let you dry grass completely, but you know, the, the Ruby Bridges book, I just uh, did a little Google. And that book, where the county that has issue with it is one of the most wealthy counties in Tennessee. And I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for 11 years. So I'm a little bit aware of that area. It's also being pushed and by the same group of white moms who came to North Carolina just two months ago. And I'm going to say their name because I also believe and because I don't want to glorify them, but because I want moms, if you're aware of them, because it almost doesn't sound like a bad name. And it almost sounds like it could be positive. Well, let's see. They are 
it's something like the Moms for Liberty or something like that. So it sounds like sounds like the Daughters of the Confederacy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's not correct. I'll find the term, and it is a group, and they are the ones who are pushing for that book ban. And it is one of the wealthiest uh, counties right next to Davidson County in Tennessee. So it's not Davidson, it's Williamson County. So yeah, that's where you find wealth, where you find the pushback, because people are afraid of losing their power. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the shining city on a hill narrative. Mm -hmm. It is an idol. I think power has a huge role to play in the discussion but i'm sometimes curious especially as we consider like as we talk about uh healing like i think if i if if we were to contextualize the front end of the conversation it's been this really beautiful unpacking and and description of what is and and what is operating and so that creates an entry point for 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 people but i think What's left is like, what do, what do we do with this, mm-hmm. right? What do we, what is the the pathway and 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 the vision forward? Because almost even engaging, like we want to have educational content out there, right? But like you said earlier, even sort of engaging in this low level content or or or, or nonsense argument about it isn't actually attacking or addressing the 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 core issues of what's there and i know in in justice work we often talk about power so much but as we also start to talk about the embodiment piece to it do we think it's just power like what are the other factors at work because I'm, I'm questioning from like what role does a person's naturals drive for safety play I was mm-hmm. I forgot what I was listening to but they were talking about how we're all traumatized in, in some way shape or form and that was Gigi what oh yeah what? <laughs> Gigi <laughs> King Hazy <laughs> go back and listen to that episode y'all <laughs> Right, so we're all we're all we're all dealing with some shape form of trauma. We're all, especially in the context of the United States of America, we're dealing with racialized trauma, like th- this trauma of of racism. And I'm just I just kind of want to throw that sort of lob that out there. And we we talk so often about power, but what role does sort of the the physiological response having that and is it worth looking at that as the pathway forward to even having these conversations instead of getting in the mud of the nonsense of oh my god this boogeyman (laughs) sorry that was a long setup y'all i'm sorry (laughs) but we needed that video for that if you all could have seen tommy do the boogeyman (laughs) i mean i have some thoughts i don't know that they'll speak specifically but something that i've really been trying to do in this process because like you tommy like i'm thinking through like one thing that i'm thinking a couple things i'm thinking through in this point that i'm in this work is how do i not lose sight of people's humanity Mm. how do i honor the divine in every person 
And how am I contributing? Like what energy am I bringing into a space? Now I believe that like, I mean, as an eight on the Enneagram, like <laughs> I'm the, I'm kind of a spear head in a sense, right? Which like, is not a bad thing. No. And I'm okay with that. Yes. Like I love that about me. And I know that I have healing to do and that I've been healing in things. And so it's like, how can I function in that strength mm. and engage things in a way and put an energy into this space that is both critical of what is happening, bringing attention to what is happening, challenging people, and maybe even inviting them along on the path. And so I think a lot about my own story and where I came from and what I felt. And like, I think a lot about like the deconstruction I've been going through in my faith journey and how even though it's been this incredibly positive, beautiful, wonderful journey. It has also been very discombobulating at times because it's what I knew. It's what I believed. And so what I'm trying to figure out is like, how do I communicate with people and connect them with this aspect of the story? Like I acknowledge that if everything you thought you knew was a lie, or a really big fib, or, you know, like, if there's so much more to this story, then you understand, like, that's going to be really discombobulating for people. And just thinking about that, helping me to maybe persevere longer and more and not give up hope in terms of like, communicating and trying to connect with others. So I'm not sure that answers what you're you know, talking about it all. But that's just kind of what I was thinking about when you were saying that. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think, no, I, I think that's definitely a way. But even that, I think like there, that gets exhausting and it, it feels impractical to have that many conversations. And I, I guess that's where movement building, this movement building work yeah. um, comes into play with, with, within all this. But it, for me, the whole conversation even around critical race theory feels exhausting because it's actually this really beautiful tool, <laughs> and, right? And y'all were talking about patterns and history and, and, and how um, things sort of repeat and, re and reveal themselves. And I don't think we can have this conversation apart from a conversational eco with economics tied to it as well, mm -hmm. right? And so that not just and I don't think we can have a conversation about power without security attached to it as well. When we look at how capitalism functions, when we look at who it is built off of of the backs of, when we look at that it has to contain some sort of exploitation, all those things like cr what critical race theory does is it tells the narrative story of, of how we got here. It, it looks critically at all the pieces and, and asks us, what is the thing not told? And we already know that people, that, that's the thing that people don't want to talk about or confront because it means the entire system has to change. The entire way of being has to change. And that's scary. And that's disruptive. Yes. And Fox News knows yes. that they can 
fuck people up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the triggers, if we if I keep triggering them and triggering them. And so this word has become the trigger to tap into the trauma response to activate these people. Mm-hmm. Right. And and this is the function of it that we would see as, as white lash when we contextualize these things. And so I think critical race theory helps us to contextualize so that we can see a pathway forward, so that we can see how people are reacting. Because like I don't have time like I'm not going to argue with you because you're in your trauma response. And I, I just can't right now. <laughs> like that there's nothing that you're going to learn or receive with that. And so it's, I, it's, I think it's a complete waste of our time, but where I feel like a good use of our time. And I mean, for, for people of color, for black people, it's a waste of our time. Right. And thank God for white people doing the work to have those right. conversations or, and, and I just, because and and I even want to nuance that, right? Because mm-hmm. when we think about power and security, the reason that this works is because, like, they're selling it to poor white people. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, and they've treated them like shit since the inception of the country, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we don't like poor people. We don't like poverty, right? And the way that you pit poor white people against if you give them a racist boogeyman cue the critical race theory right and and so i'm grateful for that like like i said i'm grateful for the first half of that conversation because i think yes people need to understand that but i also think that what last year showed us is we're also beyond that conversation what we're doing right now is we're building we're actually building community we're actually saying we're going to change this like it's not an option Exactly. <laughs> right. like, like the way that we function in community and live is not an option because the way that we're doing it under these structures known as capitalism and, and patriarchy and racism are not working anymore for us. And that's the conversation that people don't want to have. And so let's activate everybody so that we can't actually get there. <laughs> I agree and I hear you and I but my curiosity lends itself to the day-to-day of parents in schools who and teachers who are being fired and ostracized. I would posture the question of how do we change the narrative within the institutions of education because there are teachers being targeted, literally targeted, because they think that they're being they're teaching this awful thing and that has nothing to do with it. So like even if we don't focus on the words, like there's still not acts of physical violence, but there's violence happening within the learning spaces, if that makes sense. When's that where's that been new? Since my white brain woke up and saw it because I lived under privilege and I was able not to see it until four years ago. I, I think that, and I don't, I don't respond that way to be like a smart ass or anything. Oh, no, I, I know I, you no, don't. Right? I know. It, it is, of course not. It's, we already know that this is what people are going to do. It's what they've been doing. It's why you were already weren't taught the history because they were already controlling the curriculum books. Right. You're just seeing the cycle in action now at a different entry point. 
in my opinion, right? In my assessment. No, no, thank you. I'm your white person for today. And, um, <laughs> no, that's exactly, you're exactly right, Tommy. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, for me, like four years ago, I would have engaged this really differently and been very like in the trenches and going to battle and spending all my time and energy on it. I just wasn't in like as healed a place. And I didn't have an imagination at that point for what Tommy's talking about with like, building a community, reimagining, experiencing life and pursuing things like joy and pleasure in the midst of these really difficult spaces. And so I feel like now I'm able to better engage it. And that's kind of where my whole perspective is like, let's just put these things here, put it out there and be done because this is a distraction. And I think for me as a woman who's white, like trying to figure out and discern, like, where do I belong in this conversation? What can my role be in this work? And sometimes that's a big challenge, figuring that out. And, and, and I'm learning and realizing that the healthier I get and the more healed that I am, the more that I'm able to exist from that space, so to speak. So yeah. I appreciate that, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and I, the things that are probably influencing a lot of that thought but it is practicing myself what community looks like is is yeah. rooting into the places that I have, uh, as Olivia would know, a scarcity mindset and what asking myself, what does it actually mean when I'm afraid to slow down or I'm afraid to rest, right? Yeah. <laughs> And that that's something that black folk and poor white folk have in common is this lack of rest. Of course, you don't understand CRT with what time you're trying to survive. Like that's the humanity point entry point that I can find for you. It doesn't change the fact that you got racist ideology, but you know what? Race is not the boogeyman for me. That's not a boogeyman word for me anymore. And I'm sorry that it is for you. And I'm sorry that that's your experience. But if you stay in relationship with me, if you stay in the tension with it, we're going to get you to a place where you're just like, oh, let me just readjust some things here. Like, that's the kind of place that I want to be. That's where I'm going to align myself. And it doesn't mean that we don't do fight for policy change in the curriculum and teach actual history or different narratives or more complete whole stories, right? And, and and so and that I think for me that's the hope in this. And maybe that hope will die because hope dies and is resurrected over and over and over again. Mm, say <laughs> Thank that. you, Austin Channing Brown. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like if like I, I feel for me in my spirit, the first part of that conversation was just so heavy. It was so heavy. And and I just want to honor that space because it, it like people in those trenches who are in their bodies are activated is heavy. And when human bodies are activated and our flight our our, our fight flight freeze response is activated, mm-hmm. right? We're all this is why we're all mm-hmm. at war yes. with people. And so we have to the NAP ministry is so profound and like we have to slow down because it's when we slow down that we can 
have this introspection and we can ask the questions and we can have the conversations and we can be in relationship and we can do the imagining work, right? And we can create our mm-hmm. own theories. Right. Critical race theory and the end all be all is just one way. <laughs> it's just one way. And so it's, it's what we're seeing, friends, is racism in action working to create race, working to create divides, because critical race theory maintains that race is a social construct. And because it's a social construct, that means that it will move and shape, shift its meaning. And this is why we can't be stagnant. And this is why it's good to be comfortable, but we can't stay comfortable. We're, mm-hmm. we're meant to change. We're meant to morph and so we have to build those resiliency muscles in the justice work and in the current conversation and in mass media and and, in the institutions are just designed to keep people continually activated in their cycles and the status quo it as dr greg carr from howard university says this is america's last stand its last vestige (laughs) you know because it is like what we're seeing we're witnessing the country fail um because it can't take care It, it refuses to take care of its people and the people when they're not cared for, will react. This is the this is the the near the, the 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 history that we know, time and time and time and time again. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> no, no, we have to be okay with failure. You know, there is a great you you rise, you move forward from failure. I I don't know where in the world we go from there, but. <laughs> I think it's okay to say thank you, Jen. Yeah, thank for you. joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for the example that you are to people, melanin deficient people, doomed white. <laughs> so so deficient. <laughs> I'm like fifty percent potato. <laughs> but, but, I took that from another comedian. I was like, yeah. That's hysterical. It is hysterical. She's like, I'm like 50% potato. I'm like, ah. <laughs> anyway, That's sorry. so awesome. Thank God for the comedians. Thank God for the comedians. We, I, so I've been listening to um, Karen Hunter and Dr. Gret Card. They do these in class with cars every Saturday. And it's just helped me see create an analysis in different ways. I highly recommend people check it out for to spur their imagination, not just to, because I think sometimes what we do is we look at history and history is so heavy and that memory is in our bodies. We get so weighed down and it's like, Mm -hmm. and I think what they do is they create this beautiful bridge into creativity, uh, uh, Mm. asking that question of how we get free. Um, mm. um, and so, but thank you for journeying with us, Jen, and being part of that solution of, of how we get free. Um, My pleasure. Of loving us so well in, yes. the, in the collective. Um, I love it. Seriously. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've like never we've not officially met yet. So I know. <laughs> but I feel I like I'm like, it's my sister, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> How can people be in community with you? You can find me and follow me on Instagram. I am Jen Kinney. Also, my podcast, Story Power Podcast, has its own IG handle as well. You know, if you really like the sass, find me on Twitter. <laughs> I was that's wondering. Kind of where I go to burn <laughs> things down. Ah, yeah, that's where you can find me. And then the Speaking of Racism platform is such a beautiful thing. So I recommend people go and follow that. It's a, you know, a mix of how many of us who are collectively journeying and in moving that space forward um, mm-hmm. with Tina Strawn. So mm-hmm. check that out too. And yeah. 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 Thank you for a rich conversation and for dreaming in the trajectory and yeah. Well, and I really appreciate, you know, just the, I, I always appreciate what you bring to the conversations, Tommy. Oh, and you. also like this entire idea of reimagining and imagination and expanding our imagination. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to be able to live that and experience that and taste it. Right. And like, see that it is good, right? Like really, truly like being a part of collective community is such a hopeful, beautiful, painful, you know, like uh, just becoming. And this idea of us kind of walking together and in walking one another home, like has really been on my Mm -hmm. heart a lot lately. And I just think, yeah, like if people can start experiencing that and mm-hmm. um, that that's that's an amazing gift. So, mm-hmm. well, hope is birthed, right? And mm-hmm. birth has many stages and many layers to it. Mm-hmm. And each one changes you and grows you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and the beautiful thing about our community, this collective is that we sharpen each other, you know, is, is, yeah, you know, that, that idea about imagination didn't come, it, the seed was planted with a conversation Andre, Henry and Corey Leak were having on X and Sigil, right. you know, and so is the, I, when you're in community and you're having these conversations, the mm-hmm. ideas build upon each other and we begin to create needs and open ourselves up to the ways that we can meet each other's needs mm-hmm. um you know and but we're so used to our systems working we don't want those things to change or we're we're afraid of stopping or right. slowing down and mm-hmm. and i can only say that right now for me is because i've taken this time for myself to intentionally slow down and it's been scary and life has, will still continue to come at you right. um, and the capitalist narratives are still there. And so it's beautiful to come into spaces like this and be like, okay, recall why I am resting. <laughs> recall mm-hmm. why I am resisting. Um, right. and it's beautiful to do it in community with you, my sisters. 
Thank you for joining us on Permission to Be. You can learn more about today's guests by going to permissiontobepodcast.com. We are also on all the social medias. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Permission to Be Podcast or Twitter at Permission to underscore B. We would love to hear from you and let us know who you might want to have on as our next guest. If you will leave us a rating and review in your review, you can put the name of people or persons who you think might be a great guest for the Permission to Be podcast. We hope you have a wonderful day.